On 17th May 2021, Barge P305 sank off the coast of Mumbai during the devastation caused by Cyclone Tote. To analyze this incident, we have Captain U.S. Gokte. At 62 years of age, he stands with a robust qualification as a master mariner. One among the many feathers in his cap includes being a captain in command on oil tankers for many years. He has also spent a significant amount of time serving as an operational internal auditor and trainer on the oil fields as well as on oil field related ships. His visit and work on oil fields includes those in countries like New Zealand, Indonesia, Malaysia, India, Vietnam, Nigeria, Angola, Cameroon, Gulf of Mexico, USA, Qatar, the Middle East, and Russia, to name a few. Captain Gokte has trained oil field managers, officers, and the crew in critical decision-making, especially in oil field emergencies, in both theory and practice. He has coached the captains and crew of the oil fields on facing major emergencies and responding to them. This includes teaching them about survival tactics, rescue operations and firefighting. He has also conducted internal training of helicopter landing officers on oil fields and oil field crafts. He has an expertise in conducting extensive internal investigations in accidents on oil fields. We are now joined by Mr. Ishan Arya, our host, who will have a chat with him. Welcome to the show, Captain Gokta. It's really nice to have you with us today. Oh, thank you, Ishan. Thanks for having me on your show. Excellent. Let's come straight to the point, Captain Gokte. Why are we discussing this topic today? What happened exactly? What happened was very uh, sad when the extremely severe cyclone, Tote, on the 17th of May passed over the uh, formerly known as Bombay High, now Mumbai High. Within that, the Hira oil field, roughly west of uh, Revdanda port, passed over it. It caused a lot of devastation, but it also caused loss of life. On the barge Papa 305 itself, there were 261 people in the being accommodated that broke loose, collided with a, with a nearby oil structure, and it uh, sprung leak and sank, taking with it lives of 75 uh, of the people accommodated who were working on the oil field and <clears throat> as a whole there were other crafts also altogether 86 lives were lost so uh, a lot has been discussed about this i myself have heard in the media and very good level of information has been uh, handled and discussed on the media but there are a few points I would like to uh, uh, point out while chatting with you. So I thought might as well uh, accept this uh, invitation. It's an honor to be on your show. And uh, sometimes while our condolences, our hearts and souls 
go towards the, uh, the families and loved ones of those who lost their lives, including the master of the barge, the captain of the barge. Uh, it, also, it also amounts to bringing about a major change in the industry itself for better, so that such a thing never ever happens again. One example being that of uh, a catastrophic fire on Piper Alpha that led to major changes in the way the oil rigs were structured, were built. That happened in the mid-80s in UK, in North Sea, and uh, that time 167 lives were lost. This, this is something similar to that, and it is the worst accident in the Indian offshore industry and it should never happen again. So let me see uh, whatever I can share with you, the best I can do and hope it, our, our chat today really contributes to this serious matter uh, in a productive way that some points get taken by those who listen to us. Absolutely, that is the intention. That's why we have experts like you. So the points that you raise and the information that you provide not only helps the country where the incident has taken place, but it also helps uh, other countries around the world to tackle situations and to be proactive in the future. So w when we talk about the cyclone, and it, it, it's all about cyclone right now, let, let's discuss what cyclones are. Could you tell our audience what is your experience about cyclones or what do you know about cyclones? Uh, the cyclones at sea are, are known by different, different names. Uh, but largely they form in the tropics because <clears throat> over the sea, in the tropics, they gain energy. Normally, uh, world over, you have fixed high pressure and low pressure areas and you also have a dynamic movement of high pressure and low pressure areas. In the tropics, when a seemingly harmless looking uh, low, low pressure area uh, coincides with other feeding factors, it can gain energy. And with today's satellite imagery and uh, three-dimensional study of the atmosphere, what has been learned is the convection currents in the upper part of the atmosphere, surface temperatures of the ocean, of the seas, and the other conditions such as uh, wind and uh, the temperature itself can amount can, can deepen that depression. The low become depression, the depression can become storm-like and it starts moving. Typically these storms in, they, in the northern hemisphere start moving towards west first and then they curve towards northeast in a northeasterly direction. And these cyclones are known by different names in different parts of the world. We all know in, in, the, in the east or far east, they are called typhoons. In the US, they are called hurricanes. And uh, otherwise, they are just called storms. And uh, in India, we call them cyclones. So this particular cyclone was first named as Zero One Alpha by the uh, one American group of uh, observers. Uh, official authority in observing the uh, formation of and tracking of the cyclones. A day later when it it looked like uh, it, is, it is already a full form uh, storm and heading eastward, 
slightly northeast towards the northern coast of Kerala, the Indian Meteorological Department, IMD, named it Tote. It is spelled as uh, Tokte, but basically it's a Myanmar word, and uh, we are going to call it Tote, and, and that got formed, but it intensified heavily. And then, of course, uh, it took its path. Uh, as it is in the Arabian Sea, during this season, low pressure areas are formed and they, they indicate the onset of monsoon. Because during monsoon, a lot of things change in the uh, Arabian Sea, in that basin. The currents and also the winds, they, they completely change their circulation. And ships and also, of course, the offshore industry is prepared for that. But sometimes their preparation may fall short when exceptional things like this particular case, they happen, which means there was no curving, first moving to the west and then curving towards northeast. But right from the beginning itself, this storm started moving northeastward, came towards the coast of India, uh, came off the Indian coast, north of Kerala, and then continued almost upward, parallel to the coast, gaining more and more energy and becoming category four storm on the scale of, uh, on an American scale, which is mainly used in the Western hemisphere. However, it is the five being the highest one, four being just below that, meaning it was extraordinarily severe, very rare and extremely severe storm, which you normally don't see on the Indian coast. And since you mentioned the offshore industry that was affected, could you tell us a bit more and tell our audience what exactly you mean by an offshore industry and what activities are conducted or a bit about their work culture as well? We, we often hear about the merchant navy. Merchant navy in the sense where the ships are trading, ships are moving. But there is a very big world by itself which is engaged in hydrocarbon uh, facilities, uh, extracting energy from the seabed and uh, storing, separating it, exporting it uh, in oil and gas uh, production and processing uh, domain. And India ha has its own share. We have uh, Bombay High and on the east coast also we have uh, oil fields in the east, east uh, you know, different, different uh, parts of the eastern coast. The offshore industry typically uh, uh, decides on blocks to explore when they begin the exploration. And it goes through many stages. They are typically the geological surveys and then making decisions as to where to start the exploration followed by the huge risk that they pose to the environment, to the life at sea, to the, to the economy of the country also. It is very rare that only one entity will shoulder the entire responsibility for the activity which goes over there. Even though one central authority may be generally coordinating but lot of lot of lot of companies from different different countries are involved 
because the activities are so complex. There are often specialized uh, equipment made, specialized vessels made, depending upon the chemistry of the oil or gas that it is going to produce. And then it is, it is going to be decided as to what is going to be done with it. Is, can the local refineries use that oil? Or it needs to be exported or it needs to be exchanged. Some of the gases, if they need to be flared off, some can be used for power generation or they can be sent ashore for natural gas usage and so on. So it's a, it's a very busy field, full of experts, full of a uh, lot of skills requirement and often concurrent activities going on for exploration, even after full launching of the oil fields. And uh, depending upon the EEZ, continental shelf of the country, the jurisdiction is also decided as to what happens. So in this particular case, uh, at the Hira oil field where the casualty happened was very much within the ambit of the Merchant Shipping Act, within the Director General of Shipping and a lot of, we can say that the uh, statutes and the legal framework of the country was applicable and it was within that, within, uh, that area, within those limits. It was not too far off. So what happens in the offshore industry? There is a regular change of people. There is a regular transportation by surface crafts, typically called as supply boats by helicopters. Some of the countries also use hovercrafts, different, different means. A lot of specialized uh, uh, maintenance barges, maintenance uh, crafts are, are uh, employed. And there is a very high level of coordination necessary as well as at the grassroots level or if, if we can call it the worker level, uh, involvement necessary in respecting the laws, respecting the regulations. Because any error is very costly in the offshore industry. It can have impact on the ecology of the country and of course, a uh, big danger to the human life. Uh, what happened this time can be called as act of God, as, a, as a nature's fury. But when an offshore uh, project is undertaken or an oil field is built, all these factors are taken into account and everybody needs to be ready. Based on the point you raised, it's really interesting because it shows how in-depth the activities are and how vast and diverse and how huge this offshore industry is. And obviously for such a huge industry, when you have an accident, there's, there's supposed to be a lot of reactions. There's supposed to affect a lot of stakeholder groups as well. Um, talking about accidents, could you tell us a bit more about offshore accidents in general? Yes, unfortunately, in spite of struggling all the times to maintain very high level of uh, safety standards, accidents do occur. And when they occur, they are almost always catastrophic. There are thousands of near misses which occur. And there is a culture in the offshore industry to report them. 
very very frankly so that actions are taken and uh, um, even a minor or major accident is averted it is kind of nipped in bud so mainly they could be explosions fires or uh, uh, pollution and related to that injuries or uh, you know loss of life and there are occasions where very rarely where bad weather has also caused damages but it is mainly because of bad weather affecting some of the crops those drifting and coming and uh, making contact with the uh, structures and that leading to accident so yes and also there have been a share of helicopter accidents because it is it is difficult mm -hmm. to handle helicopters on the oil fields now, I really like how you, you isolated pollution as a different accident. just shows how ethical you are and that, that's what we really like. That, that those are the type of people we really want on our show as well. A lot of times you hear people just talking about explosions and fires and then the pollution that follows these accidents. But because you uh, isolated pollution as a separate accident altogether, uh, just shows your commitment to the sea. Um, now, while you are talking about accidents in general in the offshore um, industry, um, I heard you say something about a safety case. What is that? Oh, this is very unique to uh, offshore industry. Safety case is not only for offshore industry, but it is, it is applied. Uh, in layman's terms, it's an argument paint. For example, if I have to, if I want to, start an oil business in your territory then you ask me you as a country you ask me make a case and prove to me that you are going to do it safely so i make a safety case mm -hmm. so for this i need to have before i even begin before i even deploy the basics of uh, the project i have to have full data which is to be certified by a recognized third party, uh, you know, uh, recognized third party authority in this field. And it, it has to elaborate geologically, underwater wise, above water wise, environmentally, what activities I'm going to conduct, mm -hmm. a detailed plan of what uh, hardware is going to be deployed what soft skills are, what people with what qualification and what training are going to be employed, what are the major accident events related to that activity that have already occurred in the world or possibly could occur. They are called MAEs. And in that entire process, what elements are going to be safety critical? Mm -hmm. And what is being done about maintaining them and of course, this whole thing having a timeline. So for these many years, this is going to be done. And uh, we uh, are supposed to make that safety case. But being a hazardous industry, the risk being zero is almost never possible. The residual risk is always higher than the normal industrial risk that people are exposed to. So there is a, a short form called as ALARP, a LARP. A LARP is 
you try to bring down the risk as low as is reasonably possible. But it should not be leading to accidents and fatality, but it is higher. And in order to work within that uh, zone of moderate risk, but not too high, one has to use certain equipment, certain conditions. They have to be every contractor, subcontractor, or the, or the operators, they have to be specially trained for that. And then only they should be allowed to conduct their business. And uh, this is the safety case. And uh, uh, very briefly touching the sinking of uh, Papa 305 in this particular case, the safety case part seems to be, uh, uh, the purpose of it seems to be defeated. Mm -hmm. Now, absolutely. Could you also tell us a bit more about the pressures that are faced by the oil field officers? Because you mentioned that this is such a high risk high pressure work environment, a very high risk industry as well. How about the people? We also spoke about the lives lost during this accident. Let's come down to the actual humans, the people working in these environments and let's try to understand the pressures that they face. What is your take on that? Uh, in this industry, there is pressure because of pressure. That's just to uh, <laughs> make it humorous a little bit. Because when the fluid, when the hydrocarbon fluid and the gas comes out of the earth, it is coming out with tremendous pressure. And it is countered with either gas pressure or liquid pressure. And then it is to be eased off at a pressure that can be handled. If that ever fails, there is going to be catastrophe. This is number one pressure, psychological pressure on all the, the key handlers of any kind of oil and gas exploration activity. Now, having said that, let us come back to the, the real answer to the, the query, is that this is a commercial activity. This is about tapping energy. And this becomes a link between the energy source and the industry that uses it. When something goes, if something goes wrong in the, on the oil field and if it is going to affect the production or if it is going to slow it down, it, it means it is going to affect the uh, fertilizer factories or the refineries or the export, uh, you know, the export trade of that country. It is straight away related to the economy which is all, the numbers are in always millions and millions, and it is going to have a very high impact. So the uh, cause and effect, if we take as a ratio, the, uh, the proportion is very high for, uh, in response to mistakes or something, uh, uh, unfortunately, if it occurs and if something goes wrong. So pressures are always there commercially, Pressures are always there to avert uh, massive accidents, damage to the environment, damage to the economy, damage to uh, uh, equipment, and above all, to the uh, people. Many major world, uh, what you call multinational organizations, they are directly or indirectly associated with the oil fields in variety of ways. 
because they are, they have patents for certain uh, uh, skills or provisions and they also have a reputation at stake today if you want to hire somebody as a contractor you are immediately first going to pull out their global record of safety and then only employ them so everybody in that organization also is going to be under pressure not to have the reputation spoiled and of course the all other factors at the end of the day all these gates uh, translated into money also mm. of course uh, with the exception of life and so pressures are there in order to do it right talking about pressures talking about safety talking about accidents there is always a discussion that goes on about how certain accidents could be avoided in this particular case the media report said that the barge master chose not to move now what in your opinion could this be avoided and i'll just remind our listeners as well here we are not just trying to critique what has happened uh, we are not trying to play the blame game because you see in design thinking and in lean style of manufacturing or conducting of business as well there is always a need to have a feedback there is always a need for constant improvement and this feedback and improvement is not possible unless we dissect the situation and have a discussion of how things could have been done differently or if they could have been avoided so captain what's your take the media says the barge master chose not to move uh, do you think this could have been avoided could things uh, you know could they have been done differently what's your take on this uh yes there is lot to take and number one we cannot blame a single person in the sense not just a sole person this is a joint venture and we cannot just nail down one person and then people can say okay we have blamed it punish him unfortunately he is not there but uh, even without listening to him listening to his side or having proper investigation people should not rush into blaming anybody there is always a very methodical analysis uh, to be done uh, in variety of ways there are a lot of techniques which are employed uh, and they evolved over the period of time for any kind of uh, root cause analysis accident investigation finding causal factors and uh, basically uh, i would say here that when i heard this what you're saying i also read that uh, the barge master was blamed in the media and uh, people were upset uh, i was also uh, rather uh, shocked and i was also shocked to hear that the barge was so close in in this uh, weather so at this point it becomes local and if we say that this is where it should become ground zero literally and it should start bringing about a massive change because this was a dump barge this barge typically uses eight anchors it is assisted by normally a powerful tug to be towed onto the location uh, to make it very accurate dp vessels are also required and in this kind of weather if the barge starts drifting which happened it can also foul its anchors 
one or more into the pipelines. Oil field is full of pipelines and if it is going and drifting in an uncontrolled manner, it can cause damage to the bottom pipelines and in today's world, of course, there could be a lot of cables. There are, there are a lot of things on the seabed and it can cause enormous damage. Of course, one of the major ones out of that being pollution. Luckily, we have escaped that, but the barge itself made contact with the structure. Uh, time will only decide how much was the damage to the structure and it sank itself. So it was definitely high intensity uh, damage which caused the barge to sink. So uh, yes, they will be blamed, but the blame cannot be in entirety, it cannot be in 100%. The blame will have to have its apportionment and it could be from very high level to the individual level as well. And the accidents don't happen with a single uh, wrong step alone. It has been proven by many people who have worked on building up accident models that at times 20, 25 wrong steps need steps need to be taken before really it manifests as uh, accident. So even in this case, yes, they could be. As, as uh, it appears that he was so close and uh, we haven't seen what he uh, spoke. We haven't heard the audio transcripts. We don't know if somebody else was telling him, hold on. We don't know if he felt that if he moved away, there was something left which he was holding on to, uh, which could have become loose and caused further damage. We don't know the barge master's uh, side. So uh, it will be too, too hasty to run to conclusions. And I'm sure a lot of media and people love to find a scapegoat. They love to blame someone straight away. So I really appreciate uh, what you have expressed here, that we need to wait. And sometimes we don't have the answer straight away. Uh, patience is a virtue as they say and this is put to the taste in such situations there are no quick answers we may all have to wait for a few years and we'll know exactly what happened and until then we can only think about what could have been avoided but that too in a very constructive manner without trying to blame someone in particular uh, particularly for the accident uh, talking about accidents and talking about what could have been done what may not have been done what do you reckon? What is the difference in the safety approaches on sailing ships and oil fields? Could you differentiate between the two for us? Uh, the very big difference, fundamental difference is sailing ships move. They are constantly, they're, they're flying a flag of the country they are registered in. Uh, the rules and regulations for safety and operation they, are, they have to abide with. But they are physically changing their location. Uh, literally globally, while oil fields are static. They are in one place. Oil fields do have uh, uh, long-term plans, short-term plans, and the, the, the projects and the jobs can be done in a highly planned manner. It's actually high stakes, but it can be uh, high stakes, but well-researched, well-formulated, uh, safety regime that oil fields have always been known for. 
because the way uh, they safely handle the hydrocarbon production in either liquid form or gas form, they transport them, they export them, they burn them, uh, the toxic gases, and they are constantly maintaining the facilities and the number of accidents which actually have happened are uh, is less. They should be zero, but then the number is definitely commendably low. This is because on the oil fields, the safety regime can be enforced in a systematic manner, which is not so easy on sailing ships. On sailing ships, the master is the on-the-spot commander and he has to uh, he has to uh, address the constantly changing environment and keep, keep his safety regime going. So it's quite different there. The, the big factor in, in uh, offshore industry is that of permit to work system and management of change, these two areas. And for that, risk is really evaluated in a very, very in an in-depth manner. And parameters are set. For example, uh, in the uh, some of the seas which are known to be extremely difficult where I have uh, worked extensively I have visited for giving training to the crews and also doing their audits etc uh, waves up to 19 meters were faced within just first two years of operation while the oil field was designed the facilities were designed for only up to 21 meters imagine maximum wave height. Mm -hmm. I'm mentioning wave height because here slightly, I'll just make a little bit of detour. Uh, I read in the media when I was trying to uh, uh, go through what exactly happened and, and the mentions of waves were in terms of nine feet waves of, uh, you know, Gateway of India or things were mentioned like that. They are only the splashes in the severe storm on the coast. Out at sea, I don't know, I could not find a record of the meteorological observations, but those who made the rescue, those who were actually still holding on on the oil field, they would know. But I won't be surprised if 50 to 60 feet of waves were faced when the eye passed over that area. The offshore industry has to be prepared for knowing very well in their safety regime, what parameters they can perform. Mm -hmm. In the sailing ships, a lot of fighting it, facing it is required. Firefighting is necessary. But in the offshore industry, a lot of automation is provided. QSDs, quick closing, uh, auto closing devices, a lot of automation is provided. And that is to be deployed and evacuation is the key word before the parameters are exceeded. Mm -hmm. So you move everybody to safety and that's a fundamental principle in having safety regime at sea. Over here, what I hear is there were 700 souls, 700 people who were on that oil field. Like I said at the beginning, when the storm began, it did not go west and then go to northeast. It straight away set on to the uh, northeasterly route, meaning it gave only literally 48 hours. Between 15th and 17th, there were only 48 hours. But the industry is ready for that. What matters is the, the, the gravity of the situation is to be registered quickly 
and decisions need to be made at a very fast speed and that is actually a key requirement for the key people in any oil industry. Mm -hmm. For uh, some of the oil installation managers, there are very difficult course to do it. It is called uh, MOM, major uh, making decisions, major decisions in the face of major emergencies. And it requires high caliber, like I said, patience, keeping cool, keeping calm, and being very focused and organized. And <laughs> these scenarios, they need to have been drilled and practiced so that when a, a real situation arises such as this at a short notice, people are not caught unprepared. Uh, I don't know what really went wrong here, but definitely whatever has happened, it's, it's clearly showing that a full overall of this uh, safety regime in this uh, industry, in the Indian offshore oil industry is, is of paramount importance at as early speed as possible. Uh, I will just take the liberty to make one comment here. Just few days later there was a cyclone in Bay of Bengal. In case of Tote, what we are hearing is the barge master did not move away and lives were lost and there were also other crafts which got saved. In fact, one of them grounded on the rocks. But Navy saved them, Coast Guard saved them. But to the contrary, in the Bay of Bengal, the oil fields were shut for five days totally. You can imagine how much commercial loss that could have been. So there has to be a balance. Probably it was a reaction to what happened here. So whoever was uh, in charge or whoever was in shock for looking good or for doing it right, they just shut it down, evacuated everybody for so many days. There has to be a professional balance. The oil fields all over the world face cyclones, they face catastrophes, but that can be done by an ongoing practice of professionalism and good safety approach and most importantly, uh, a robust leadership. In the sailing, on the sailing ships, often in today's world, a lot is determined by shore base officers because that's the way the evolution is. In fact, the world is heading towards autonomous ships. But in the offshore oil and gas industry, it's the opposite often, uh, to the opposite that the oil installation manager, the people who are working on the oil field are the ones who are to be interested with making decisions. And they may call up and say, you have to shut down now. And the people ashore will listen to them and they do it. But it has to have mutual trust. There has to be uh, the professional standard and it should be tested from time to time for unforeseen emergencies. Captain, what do you reckon, based on what you have said, what would have been an ideal situation? How could the situation be tackled in an ideal world? And while you explain that, could you also tell a bit about human capabilities, the role of people and the skills that you would expect them to have in facing such situations? Uh, in the ideal world, mm -hmm. the lives of the Navy and Coast Guard that were put to risk, they, they are brave. They took the ships and the helicopters in the, in the wind 
and in the uh, in the in an extremely hazardous uh, meteorological uh, conditions and they rescued people but in the ideal world they should have done it if the help was really required uh, if they were called out they could have been helping when the sea was calm and not when 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 this uh, uh, catastrophe was happening when the eye of the storm was raising over the oil field so timely action should have been taken proper shutdown should have happened and people should have been moved to safety with only skeleton people skeleton crew that are necessary to handle the the installation to save any more catastrophe environmental damage mm -hmm. so that should have happened to answer your uh, second question as to what extra skills mm -hmm. would have helped and uh, in that i will say the first and foremost is decision making decision making comes with uh, it's like the tip of the iceberg because decisions mean decisions and your timeline and your options and you need to have authentic uh, information flowing in and you have to be constantly analyzing it and basis of that one may even predict if something is going to go wrong way ahead of it actually manifesting and uh, if we say people skills it could have been about the uh, the way the risk analysis is made the way the risk evaluation is made i think by hearing it by looking at the pictures by looking at the state of some of the hardware that was uh, on those crops it is a little shocking to see the standard and uh, i may also say unfortunately i've been witness to some of the uh, training facilities who certify people who train the people who work here and who are supposedly are capable of uh, forcing it or acting in the middle of emergency and uh, you don't get the confidence that by training in those uh, facilities the people are going to go out offshore and they are going to be working in the area and they are successfully going to avoid accidents and losses of life so uh, there is a very big list of uh, skills which is required offshore uh, there is something called as as an example opito these are all short forms from different different uh, organizations who who list out the skills that are required from time to time one of them as an example looking at the waves looking at the sea condition and then looking at the at the uh, the type of crane which are there on the barge in the photos uh, you wonder a lot because ideally in monsoon or when there is a normal swell on these uh, on these waters you need the crane operators who can handle the uh, the load dynamically dynamically and for that you need simulators to know that i wonder if that level was going on this is just as an example talking about the level what other special training is given to the oil field workers one is uh, the big categories will be the the skills they require for their job mm -hmm. and the second category is for emergencies mm -hmm. so uh, for the job there are highly skilled people right from diving to marine work 
to uh, chemical labs which are on board to uh, detection to of course uh, uh, you know they are called uh, uh, 3D drilling itself the tool pushers or oil drilling oil extraction so these are the uh, if, if you just go and look at what happens on oil field is there are there are uh, crafts there are people there are teams who are exploring it then those who are surveying it those who are making construction those who are making uh, maintenance those who are already uh, those who are building construction they're building the oil field platforms and then those who are living on it and who are engaged into production and exporting or pumping it ashore and those who are handling the power generation plant separation plants chemical injections those who are handling the hr part of it the different crafts handling and their regular maintenance and so on and so forth so there are literally thousands of skills which are required and together they have to of course know how to monitor how to predict uh, emergencies and how to be prudent and how to act in time to avoid the catastrophes ecological uh, human life wise and of course uh, hardware wise there have been in, in spite of all these majors accidents happen you must have heard the case of deepwater horizon in the gulf of mexico or like i said pipe alpha and there have been many uh, but they should only be exceptions and occasional they should not become a norm uh, captain for people like me maybe deepwater horizon movie uh, explains to us sometimes what leads to a disaster uh, i would like to elaborate on that part how much autonomy how much freedom does the master of the barge really have in the situations i'm getting a feel that people working on these barges on oil fields are very highly trained they are absolutely prepared in contingency planning in risk management when someone is trained so much how much autonomy is given to the person in times of crisis or they are victims of bureaucracy and red tape and sometimes fear losing their jobs if they do not listen to the higher management or are they given the freedom to make the decisions by themselves what is could you could you tell us give us some information enlighten us about how things work i think you have already given the details of the menu card <laughs> of the reasons why people may not uh, people may not act but on paper every master the level of the master he could be master of a boat master of the ship master of a barge or the oil installation manager who is in command of the oil installation they have very clearly stated overriding authority to save life and property at sea or on the facility and they should not hesitate to execute that but when that oil is pumping it is pumping millions and if someone says i want to stop that person is bound to be asked questions because it should not come out of the blue or or uh, as a shock everybody should everybody is aware that things are developing and at this point we need to stop so yes if authority is there on paper it is written and they are they don't have autonomy but 
they have overriding authority which is clearly stated and only basis of that when a contractor is hired by a major oil uh, exploration or oil field handling company or uh, uh, entity they make sure that these procedures their uh, SOPs of the contractors also provide clear overriding authority to those in charge in fact on some of the highly uh, uh, the, the oil fields where the safety culture is highly developed if you call every individual on board can say stop everybody is given the authority to call a stop either for the localized uh, process or if required the entire process but avoid but rather let allow, rather allow loss of life or damage to the environment so the procedures are highly developed, but like I said, you gave the full menu card of why people may not execute it. Mm -hmm. And those are the pressures, unfortunately, in some of the countries, if people are afraid of the jobs, if people are afraid of uh, um, uh, personal harm or uh, vendetta, they may not execute it. In this uh, area, I would like to mention one point is the unions play a very powerful role in some of the, uh, if I may, uh, in the developed countries and they play a very constructive role and they do uh, have their share to make sure that uh, this overriding authority or st uh, stop, stop process uh, authority is not diluted. And, and, but then it's a culture. Everybody in that, in that domain they know what is happening if they don't know the details, but they generally know. They generally know what the stakes are. And even the local population of the adjoining towns and cities, they are quite aware in their uh, general knowledge about what is happening just outside, just uh, 40, 50 kilometers outside the coastline. And all this will have the impact that person who is making the decision, no, stop it, feels the, the support of that population, that they will understand me why I'm doing it. But when it is not happening, he may, he may only look hero when somebody's, something sings or somebody puts a life in danger. But there are huge number of unsung heroes, really speaking, who don't have to risk their lives because they have to act in time and avoid it in entirety. So unless and until this culture takes deep roots, these overriding authorities or autonomies, they don't really work effectively. Fantastic. Well, with all the details you have given, let's ask a very um, bold question. There is a talk about FIR against the barge captain. What do you reckon? I is that heard okay? that. I heard that and I feel, uh, I felt sad actually because he's no more he's no more to tell his side of the story mm -hmm. world over anywhere in the world the the police have to do their job just about a few days ago i heard <coughs> a, one of the european countries they the police called up a ship that was violating the passage or uh, they have been police where who are now deploying drones along the coastline to identify the violators for environmental uh, damage 
and they act. So policing is necessary and uh, uh, noting down a case if it may is necessary. Having said that, among the seafarers, if you uh, just listen to them, you will hear a lot of displeasure for very high level of criminalization of seafarers and uh, it, it, they almost feel they are being scapegoated and they are only being blamed uh, just to satisfy the outcry. So this FIR, if it is happening uh, regularly and if it is happening against all the violators, I would say it will look fair. But if it is only happening to satisfy the outcry, then I would say people have to do thinking here and, and improve it rather than being selective. Mm. Well, what do you reckon overall is the weakness in the entire system if you were to quickly summarize it for our listeners based on what you have mentioned, the role of the master, the reporting process, the way the society works in the blame culture, the victimization that you spoke about, the criminalization of seafarers or people working at oil rigs. What do you reckon, what things could be changed? Where, where is the weakness in the system here? The weakness is, uh, I, I look at uh, it through very basic principles of uh, safety in the sense every time there is an accident there is a failure of the system itself mm -hmm. the system fails that is why the accident happens mm -hmm. and it needs to be addressed fully mm. so like you said the system that is contractually involved or uh, by nature of their job that is directly related or it could also be uh, as a social responsibility the population mm -hmm. or their demands all are to be the all are to be held responsible in certain ways mm -hmm. they all need to introspect and they have to see how together we can change it true i remember some of the oil installation managers I remember in my uh, entire career out at uh, in the, on the oil fields is I remember he, he was also a very senior person and uh, I was interested with training all the people there and it was a new oil field that was being uh, explored. His first day first talk to the, uh, the directly employed people and also the contractor was this. We are on this oil field for next so many years. Today, by the ecological agency of the country, I understand there are 1200 species, marine species in this area. When we wind up this business and when we head home, the number is only going to be more but not one less. So when this commitment is there, then only things can happen. So it's not just about making SOPs or making uh, stringent rules or punitive rules but people from within have to believe that oil exploration is necessary because it's a need for the human society but it should be done ethically and with tremendous uh, responsibility and constantly gaining knowledge about how 
old or present or new risks may be uh, in their different different forms and whether our preparedness is adequate to tackle them and to safeguard human life, marine life, economy, ecology and of course the business. Having said that, offshore industry in the light of fracking industry, uh, oil fracking is on the, how to say, it's slightly low. It's, 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 it may not be making the, the earnings that it was doing before, but it should not happen that their budgets get cut and the safety gets ignored because the even though the business may be a little low for offshore industry, the stakes are not. So that should also be borne. In fact, more attention should be given, more care should be taken. I couldn't have summarized this better than you, Captain Gokte. Would you like to provide our listeners with any finishing comments before we wrap up our chat today? Uh, don't do it only for your career or for job. Please be involved. Please uh, be aware and never take, uh, never underestimate the nature and act in time. And for all the seafarers, remember, there is somebody waiting for you. And also, when you guard yourself, you guard the country, you guard the... Uh, uh, like I said, uh, environment, and you also have to guard your navies and your coast guard, and not to put them at risk just because of uh, ignorance or delays in making critical decisions. They are not there to risk. I may say uh, when it is when it could be avoided, and for this the discussions, for this general awareness of the public of the people should go on that in itself puts adequate pressure indirectly it also motivates the people who are operating those industries and it it manifests by uh, by showing impeccable records in uh, safety and of course uh, environmental protection I, I absolutely agree with you and even even as far as people who are not seafarers um, like you likely said uh, correctly said they need to be aware of what's happening around and for that, we have uh, people like you on our show. So people can get first-hand information and it will create correct awareness, relevant awareness and not a deceptive awareness. So thank you very much, Captain Gokhti. We really appreciate having you on our show and for sharing your expert and ins uh, very, very insightful knowledge. And also thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Uh, we'll definitely see you in our next episode and thank you very very much thank you for having me and all of us when we are going to fill up our car tank or switch on the gas burner let us say let it be not with any further loss of life absolutely thank you for having